Dinner conversations can often be interesting. You know this. And yes, sometimes you, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes you may get a birth announcement. And I got to tell you, folks, do you still have that video of your birth announcement with your family? If you have it, you got to watch Carrie and Justin's birth announcement with their family. One of the best I've ever seen. And sometimes those wonderful moments happen. Uh, sometimes you get a front row seat to a marriage proposal. Other times you find yourself cringing, and maybe this has happened when you are awkwardly looking down at your vegetables, scooting vegetables and food around when someone in your family decides to bring up politics at the most inopportune time. Yeah, obviously you've been there. So I suppose it depends on who is sitting around the table. Table conversations the places of table, how tables matter. If sometimes we sit at tables and we go up to one and we see someone that's there and we don't want to sit there because that person just annoys us. Sometimes when high school we had the cool table and we had the nerd table or we had the athlete's table, we had all those kinds of tables. Other times there are tables where, where there's open space and we welcome, so tables matter. Well, Jesus finds himself at a dinner in Bethany hosted by Martha And if you remember earlier in the Gospels, Martha and Mary, Martha is the sort of activist, the the driven one. She's always serving. She's up and around doing things. And and Mary is sort of the contemplative one. She's the one sitting at the feet of Jesus, just sort of gazing at Jesus and taking it all in. And then you have Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead. And when I think about this scene, by the way, I won't focus on this, but I just cannot figure out how sitting there with Lazarus does not amaze people. This guy has just at one time died, and now he is alive. Does anybody not pick up on that and want to ask and get his story? And then you have Judas Iscariot. Now, there were probably others at the table, but we're specifically told of these individuals. And and as I read the story, one of the things that comes to me, first of all, is this. In the gospel, dinner and tables were places of inclusivity and welcome. If you had dinner with someone or invited them to dinner, you were welcoming them and you were including them. And Jesus even uses the banquet table as an image to describe the place of the kingdom of God, of its inclusivity and welcome. So as we move into the story, let's not miss this fact that the gospel is telling us that Jesus never failed to remind us of the inclusive nature of the gospel. The table is available to everyone. Everyone has a seat at the table, the activist server, the contemplative person, the person who's experienced new life, the one who we find out is sort of a betrayer and a robber and a thief. Everyone has acceptance and welcome at this table. And how often do we literally avoid sitting at the table with folks we don't like to be with? We move naturally towards a table that has folks like us or think like us or act like us or probably look like us, people we're most comfortable around. And in this dinner at Bethany, We're again reminded of this radically inclusive nature of the gospel that it cannot be underscored. All are welcome. All are included. Even those who betray you or who are going to betray you. Sometimes there can be something no more radical than sitting at the same table with someone who has wronged you or you have wronged them. And you sit together and you sup together and you break bread together whether it's an actual table. How many relationships have been mended over lunch? How many conversations of healing and moving back towards reconciliation have happened over dinner? How many of those have happened of let's just grab coffee? 
The plain and simple way of Jesus is this way of sitting at the table of inclusion, acceptance, and welcome with those who annoy us, those who are different than us, those who have been miraculously changed and transformed, and even those who have betrayed or wronged us. So that's the table. And now the conversation around the table gets interesting because only after this very profound act of generosity and sacrifice. Mary anoints Jesus' feet with about what's called 12 ounces of a very expensive perfume called nard. Now, you read the scholars and you read all the ones who know about this. It's a root that they say grows only in the Himalayan mountains of Nepal and was very expensive. Some say upwards maybe to $15,000 for this 12 ounces that was poured out. And so Mary takes this very expensive nard and she anoints Jesus' feet and it is this act of deep humility. Literally, she anoints his feet and she wipes his feet and then she, she wipes her, his feet with her hair. And John tells us that this house was filled with the aroma of the perfume, but, but as I sink deeper into the story, maybe the aroma was more than just the perfume. Maybe it was the aroma of grace and generosity. Mary is lavish. She is reckless. She's reckless with this stuff. Who pours out 12 ounces of $15,000 worth of perfume on someone's feet? And then wipes it with her hair. She doesn't hold back. She simply pours this out on her feet. And she offers it. And she holds nothing of herself back. So maybe again we're being pushed to realize that the kingdom of God has this aroma of reckless grace and generosity. It's found in the very person who shows us the way to the kingdom, the person of Jesus, and his interactions with others and his mercy toward humanity. It's found in the person of Mary and her very actions. And it reminds us that the greatest sign of the presence of the kingdom of God is that of humble generosity and giving of oneself in behalf of others, pouring out of oneself and not holding on or holding back. It's found in the awareness that people like Lazarus can be raised from their deadness to new life. Again, I'm still wondering, why is no one talking to Lazarus? Why is no one coming up alongside Lazarus and say, you're looking good, you look a lot better. (laughs) Heard you were dead last week. And by the way, there is an aside to that. How often do we miss those stories of transformation of people? We completely miss those stories of where they have been renewed because in some ways we can never see them as the new person. We've always seen them what? As the person they were before. We never see them as this newly transformed individual to come alongside those Lazaruses and say, wow, tell me your story. What happened and how did you get here? So here comes the rub. I can sometimes be more like Judas and completely miss what is going on around me and about me. I can completely miss these stories of generosity and new life in my midst. And I can miss these stories of extravagant grace and miraculous new life. And like Judas, I can find something to complain about rather than celebrate that moment and the reality of God's generosity and lavish and reckless love, all of this in my midst. Now, we're most familiar with Judas as that guy that was the conniving and cheating treasure of the disciples. We also know Judas as that guy who betrayed Jesus to the Roman soldiers and gave him up for a few pieces of silver. There's some interesting background on Judas. More than likely, as some scholars say, he belonged to what is known as this violent insurgency known as the Sicarii, quite possibly Judas the Sicariite, which is where we get Judas the Iscariot, which means dagger men, like a knife. And this was a group of extreme faction of the zealots 
who advocated the violent overthrow of the Roman occupation, and they carried out literally assassinations of Roman soldiers and officials and Jewish elites who they deemed as collaborators. And their preferred method was to walk among the crowds kind of in secret and they'd have their dagger kind of hidden like this and they would target someone in a crowded public place and right when they would come up alongside them they would take out that dagger and they would strike that dagger down and they would put that dagger back and they would just kind of blend into the crowd and move on. So they had their targets. They had their methods. This was a form of a terrorism designed to intimidate and dishearten all their foreman occupiers. And this is the expectation I think Judas brings to the table, if you will. He brings an expectation of violence, of an overthrow. He brings expectations of Jesus, and he wants Jesus to fulfill his and the other zealots' dream of this violent overthrow so they can rule. But he senses things aren't going his way. Jesus teaches nonviolence. Jesus teaches love. Jesus teaches loving one's enemies. Jesus teaches reconciliation. Jesus teaches peace. And none of these fit with the dream and agenda of Jesus. And here's where I think we will always find a level of rub and conflict in our life. I know I do. We will often discover our greatest internal conflict happens when our agenda and our dreams do not match up with the Jesus agenda and God's dream, that is the kingdom of God. And it's in those moments that Judas tries to get pragmatic, if not very pious. He complains that Mary wasted on Jesus what could have been sold and given to the poor. Not a bad idea on the surface, but in that moment it's an exercise in missing the point. What Judas was missing, literally missing, right in front of him was this kingdom of God being acted out right there. It's not a legal experience, legalistic experience of balancing the sheets and giving what we need to the poor as a religious duty and keeping something for ourselves. As Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. We will always have that opportunity. I think what Judas is missing is the kingdom of God. God's dream for all of creation and society being lived out and acted out right there in front of him. God's dream of a world where everyone, everyone is given a seat at the table of inclusivity and acceptance and welcome. And what if our lives, your life, my life, every week, every day, were moments of where we gave one another a seat at the table? I just had a conversation with someone this past week. And clearly we were at different ends of understanding of public policy and a political issue, clearly. But I know this person. I trust them. And my comment to them was, well, let's sit down and have coffee. Let's sit down and get something to eat. Because we're not going to solve this on Facebook, because we know how many stuff gets solved on social media. (laughs) But we got to make a place at the table for one another where everyone is welcome, everyone is included, to be able to have these conversations and to make sure everyone feels welcome to that space. It's a dream of a world where we are extravagant with our generosity and the world is filled with this aroma of generous lives and generous action. And I think in some way that's the difference going on here. You see all of this generosity happening around the table with Mary and what you have with Judas is nothing but a stingy little bookkeeper. He not only wants to count the pennies of how much that costs, but he also wants to keep a little bit for himself. You see, the kingdom of God, what will befuddle us is the kingdom of God is pretty reckless and wasteful when it comes to love. It doesn't make any sense. 
It didn't make any sense to Judas why she did what she did. And if you try to make sense of God's grace and God's love, if you try to do the math, it will turn you inside out. It doesn't make sense. But that is the beauty and the grace of it all. You cannot keep score and you cannot do math in God's grace. It is reckless. It is wasteful. It is lavish. It is extravagant. It just gets poured out. It's a dream of a world where we don't succumb to all the pragmatic and practical arguments that sometimes violence is necessary to accomplish a necessary good, the very thing Jesus want, Judas wanted to manipulate Jesus into. But we, we hold to that dream of a world where we not only believe in peacemaking, but we practice it through reconciliation, forgiveness, and we sit at the table with our betrayers. And if that language doesn't fit with you, I would just put it this way, have lunch with someone who has wronged you. Have coffee with someone who you need to ask for forgiveness or maybe you're seeking something from them. Have a meal with someone who maybe you are at odds with. It's a dream of a world where new life is not only possible, but it exists. And Lazarus was sitting right there at the table. Again, that bothers me. He was right there at the table. And he's been raised to new life, literally. And we hold to a dream where we know that new life is possible for everybody. And people can be transformed. And they can move from their deadness. And they can walk in a new way and in a new transformed way. What I may miss is seeing and hearing that person's story. And believing that it has happened. I wonder if Judas even noticed Lazarus. Or if he just remembers him as that guy that died. Or that guy who came out with the grave clothes. Or maybe it was just an illusion. You know how we end up saying that in today's life. We say that sometimes like, oh yeah, well this will only last for so long. Pretty soon they're going to be back to X, Y, and Z. But maybe it's you and I that end up being the very thing people who have been transformed need the most. Someone to come alongside them and say, I've heard that you have had this experience. I've heard you've had this moment. I've heard you've had a changed life. Tell me about it. I'm going to celebrate with you. I want to walk this with you. I want to notice it in you. Because once we notice it in people, we solidify it in people. Don't be that guy. That's the phrase that I kept going with in my head. Don't be that guy. I don't want to be that guy that is Judas. The guy who misses the new life right in front of him because he's caught up in his own agenda. The guy who's so impatient because things aren't going his way that he misses the meaning of the moment and all he can do is complain. The guy who tries to redefine the way of Jesus by cultural expectations rather than live within the present culture as one who is seeking to faithfully follow in the way of Jesus. Plain and simple, I don't want to be that guy. 